Jesus took Mary Magdalene and he went up a mountain. Mm. And uh, then Jesus basically brings forth a woman. He brings her out of his rib. And then he proceeds to have intercourse with this woman. He basically captures in his hand his own emission mm -hmm. and he proceeds to eat it. At which uh, Mary Magdalene, when she sees this, she falls down and faints. Good to have you here, my dear brother and companion, Taymour. Thank you so much for having me. So today we're going to talk about divine fluids and how there exists within Judaism, Christianity, and Islam this notion that there are uh, certain fluids or agents or individuals or creatures that when you come into contact with them, um, you become impure because their state is one of impurity. Yes. The opposite of that is also true, and that is just as there is that, there are agents and individuals and fluids that if you come into contact with them, they have a purifying effect. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So within Judaism uh, and Islam, for example, uh, there are certain animals that are impure. Yes. Uh, one of them is the pig. The pig is a nejus creature. If you come into contact with the pig, uh, there's this belief that it transmits to you impurity. Okay. It causes you, because of contact with the pig, to become in a state of impurity like the pig is. Okay. And so you must wash yourself and cleanse yourself from this state before you're allowed to approach God in prayer. Mm -hmm. Just as the pig is unclean, you become unclean because the pig licked you or, or rubbed against you or uh, urinated uh, on you or any of that. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The same thing is true in regards to the dog. When Muslims believe that the dog's saliva, his urine, uh, is impure. Mm -hmm. And contact with a dog would state would put you in a state of impurity whereby you cannot approach God until you cleanse yourself. Yes. These religions also believe that there are certain liquids or fluids that are emitted from the human being that would also place them in a state of ritual impurity. Yes. For example, a person, if he urinates on himself, mm -hmm. he's not allowed to, with that clothing uh, that has the urine on it, approach God or pray to God. Yes. And there are even narrations of a man who did not cleanse himself from, uh, uh, he would constantly urinate on himself and he didn't clean himself from that urine and his destination in the end was hellfire. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it is serious because God does not want to talk to you if you're in this state. You're not allowed to talk to him if you're in this state. You become impure, so your connection to God is cut off, and there is a potential of going into hellfire unless you fix this uh, issue that's, that's taken place. Yes, interesting. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
The defecation of a, of a human being also the same thing applies as it does to uh, urine. And then we have the menstruation of women. Mm -hmm. When women have their uh, cycle, their period once a month, uh, in Judaism, they used to build an outhouse. Uh, it was like a little cabin that would be on the outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And the woman, while she was on her uh, cycle, her monthly cycle, she would have to leave the home with her husband and her children. And she would have to go and stay in the outhouse uh, outside uh, because it was believed that anything that she came into contact with uh, was was potentially going to become impure uh, because of this um, bleeding that would happen. So the menstrual blood of the woman in Judaism is impure. And the same thing goes for Islam, although they don't banish the woman to the outside uh, of the home, but the woman is not allowed to pray during her menstrual cycle. She's not allowed to read the Quran uh, during her menstrual cycle or recite it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There are also rulings uh, in these religions that talk about the impurity of water, water that you drink from or touch can place you in a state of impurity. If that water, for example, was water that was in a well and there was an animal that fell in the well and the animal dies and its carcass is floating in the water or at the bottom of the well, that water now uh, is impure and you become in a state of impurity if you know that mm -hmm. the animal's in there and you still uh, use that water to wash yourself or to drink from. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So death is also, and dead carcasses can place a person as well in a state of impurity. And also in Islam, when one is dealing with a dead body uh, of, of any human being, uh, after they uh, wash them and deal with them, they also must wash themselves before they re-enter into a state of communication or prayer uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Interesting, yeah. Uh, in Islam uh, and and really in Christianity and Judaism as well, they consider the demons, evil spirits, uh, to be impure. And uh, them being inside of a person, they can only possess people who are unclean, all right, wow, or yeah. impure. Mm -hmm. And if they are in a in a in a being possessing them, uh, it's impurity possessing somebody who's impure, and they must be uh, cast out. Yes. Okay? Mm -hmm. All right, so now we've covered liquids, urine, and blood. Uh, we've talked about animals. We've talked about dead carcasses, bodies. Mm -hmm. What about uh, non-believers? Uh, mm -hmm. So we know that in Judaism, Christianity... And Islam also, there is a particular uh, negative view towards people that worship idols or false gods or uh, polytheists, yeah. and they are considered to be uh, impure. And there's many references to this in the Hadith and also in the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's, mm -hmm. it's there.
And so uh, uh, somebody who would, who would worship multiple gods, this also causes them automatically to be in a state of impurity and their nejus. And if they were to come into contact with, and you can read about this in the jurisprudence of Islam and also in the jurisprudence of Judaism and the writings of the rabbis, you will find in there that... Um, that if a person, a believer, comes into contact with a non-believer mm-hmm. uh, who is a polytheist, that uh, if they were to shake their hands, for example, they would have to wash afterwards because it would place them in a state of impurity. It's like coming into contact with a pig or coming into contact with a uh, dog or, so, or something that was impure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have uh, members of uh, certain jurisprudence uh, in Islam, uh, the fuqaha uh, uh, of certain schools of thought, um, and also the uh, certain rabbis in Judaism that have written that the Christians are impure and they are also within the category of being uh, polytheists or idol worshippers because they don't worship just one God, but they worship uh, three, a trinity. And uh, so they consider that Jesus was an idol and therefore they are placed into this category. And for that reason, you'll find that uh, Muslims and uh, Jews are hesitant at times to eat from the same plates or drink from the same cups uh, without washing them really good if they had a Christian guest over. And uh, some schools of thought uh, believe that if you shook hands even with with one of them that you would have to uh, wash yourself uh, afterwards. Yeah. And also there's extremists that believe the same thing about Muslims, about Jews, and vice versa. It goes, uh, you know, in all ways. But the general, the general idea that the three of them share is that the non-believer who is worshipping more than one God, who's not a monothe- monotheist, mm-hmm. and of course Christians view themselves as monotheists, um, is impure. Understood. Yeah. Understood? Mm-hmm. It okay. reminds me of the uh, story where... Um, even Jesus, the one of the most beloved prophets, السلام, where he is approached by a Canaanite woman and he says, you, basically an exchange takes place, but he calls her in that exchange a dog or more filthy than a dog. So uh, even even Jesus, the the most compassionate prophet, is still subscribing, it seems, to that idea that some people are filthy. Yes, are impure. Mm. Okay, so um, if we know that the devils are impure and we know that there are creatures that are impure and that there are liquids that are impure that cause a person to be in a state of impurity, then uh, we have to say, well, uh, the opposite must be true. Just as there is good, there is evil. So if there are agents that that make somebody impure, there has to be uh, agents that are making people pure and there have to be, uh, there has to be, uh, people that are pure by nature as well. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find this very much so uh, within these religions, uh, this idea 
And if we start off in Islam, uh, we have a plethora of narrations uh, which deal with this particular topic. Mm-hmm. Just as there is the urine and saliva of the dog that is impure, mm-hmm. in Islam, they believe that the urine of a camel is pure. Yes, this is well known. And there are traditions in both schools of thought, in Sunni Islam and in Shia Islam, mm-hmm. whereby the Prophet Muhammad or the Ahl Bayt are telling their companions that they can, if they're sick, if they must, they can use camel urine as a medicine because it does have uh, medicinal properties. Yes, uh, I, I've heard about this. I think it's uh, well known. Uh, even non-Muslims, they, they, they know this about Muslims, I think they... Yeah, so certainly like most Muslims on the planet, uh, like they are probably even unaware of that. They don't, they don't do that. They, they don't never practice have practiced mm-hmm. that. But there still are people uh, in Arab countries till this very day mm-hmm. uh, in Arabia and in the uh, UAE and Kuwait and some of these uh, Gulf countries that very much do uh, still practice this, mm-hmm. especially the Bedouins. Yes. Yeah. Um, they also have narrations, and they are many, which describe how the companions viewed the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. And the companions viewed the Prophet Muhammad as being pure by nature. Definitely. And they believed that coming into contact with anything from the Prophet was something which would purify them spiritually and physically. We have hadiths that the Prophet Muhammad uh, urinated in a container and he put that container underneath his bed. Mm -hmm. And the next day he went to look for where the container was in order that he may dispose of it. And he couldn't find it there. And so he asked a woman from the believers who used to uh, frequent his house, did you see what happened to this? Mm -hmm. And she told him that she drank it. And the Prophet then stated that fire, hellfire, would never touch this woman. So the idea is that just because she drank the urine of the Prophet, this substance that was once in the body of the Prophet Muhammad, because he's pure by nature. So therefore, any water that goes through him becomes not only pure, but becomes a purifying agent. It becomes tahir and mutahir. And so when it came out, she she drinks it, so now she can never go to hellfire, no matter what it is that she does. And there is also another narration uh, that... Uh, mentions another woman who did the same thing and the same thing was told to her. And so that's in regards to the urine of the prophet. Mm -hmm. I've heard the story. Yes, and it's a pretty well-known one. Yeah. So the urine of the prophet is purifying and it's pure. We also have narrations that it didn't just stop there, Mm -hmm. that the prophet Muhammad, when he would make wudu, 
Mm. The hadith state that the companions would almost fight one another. They would push one another and compete with one another to just get the remnants of the wudu. Because the Prophet, basically, they would use a, uh, you know, like some sort of... uh, container to pour out Mm. the water and he would make wudu and there would be a container underneath to grab the water after it was done Mm -hmm. and the companions would uh, fight over that in order to drink it or to uh, wash themselves with that same water uh, because they believed that that water had a curing effect and a purifying effect Mm -hmm. it doesn't just stop there though Mm -hmm. Uh, we have other narrations uh, of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and we're talking about sahih narrations that talk about when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu used to uh, spit that uh, his spit would actually perform miracles. Okay. So there would be, for example, somebody who whose leg got cut in the war. Mm-hmm. Narration stated that when he spit on the the uh, the leg, the leg the leg grew back. And uh, that there were people that were wounded and he spit and they were cured from that. Mm -hmm. Or there were people that were ill um, or had uh, something wrong with their eyes. And the prophet would spit and they would be cured from that. And there is even uh, narrations where the prophet Muhammad with particular members of his household he would he would spit in their mouths mm-hmm. like Imam Ali yes. Would you like to share that narration? Yeah, so um, I just learned it from uh, one of your previous lectures and uh, basically when Prophet Muhammad was making dua, peace be upon him and his family, that uh, somebody very special come from his lineage. The hadith says he spit into the mouth of Ali ibn Abi Talib while, while making that dua. So there seems to be... A, some transfer or Allah knows best, something that obviously a, a certain part of him that was going into Ali ibn Abi Talib by that act. Yeah, so uh, there you go. And you also have narrations that state when the Prophet used to spit up mucus. Mm. Uh, that the companions would go and they would fight one another in order to uh, scoop up the mucus from the ground and that they would rub their bodies by it. And it also, uh, there were narrations that stated that the hair of the Prophet Muhammad the the companions used to also collect his hair and gather it and keep it for blessings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now you have the aftermath of water that he touches or washes himself with. This became a purifying agent uh, and was known to be a purifying agent by the companions. And so uh, the Prophet Muhammad uh, in many hadiths even confirms that this person is saved from hellfire or this person is, is blessed or the companions saw the effects of it or the miracles. And he also must have taught them that uh, this was the case. So you have uh, mucus, you have saliva, mm-hmm. uh, you have the urine of the Prophet. Uh, what other liquids are out there? Blood. Blood, yes. 
So there are a couple narrations also. There's several narrations, actually. Uh, but a couple of them, they indicate that it's a good thing. A couple of them indicate that it's actually a bad thing. Hmm. So there's a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he was making hajama, And after he was done with the hajama, uh, he gives the cup that had the blood in it to Abdullah ibn Zubair to... Uh, dispose of it. He tells them, get rid of it, uh, you know, bury it somewhere so that no animals can reach it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he, Abdullah goes forward, and then when he comes back, he doesn't have it anymore. The Prophet asks him, uh, what happened? Uh, you know, he said, I buried it in the last place that anybody would look for it. And so he says, uh, or that anybody can find it. And he says, uh, did you drink it? And Abdullah says, yes. And then in one narration, the prophet smiles, like he's happy about that. In another narration, he indicates that, that it's a good thing. So he says, uh, woe to the people from you. Why, why did you drink it? Woe to the people from you and woe to you from the people. It's understood by some people. And the implication there is that, uh, okay, why did you do it? But now you're going to have the strength or the power Mm. Uh, that the Prophet has or some power from the Prophet because you drank that energy or that life force from him. Um, And they state that that's why he was courageous in battle or that's Mm. why he, uh, you know, was was able to, uh, you know, be successful in, in, in certain things. But there's a... But but also he would face a woe to him from the people because he would face also difficulties uh, just like the Prophet Muhammad faced from the hatred of the people. Now he gained some of this uh, hatred uh, from the people because he has uh, the blood of the Prophet in him and Nasibis are just naturally averse to the Prophet and his household. But... The other groups of hadiths implicate or indicate that the that this was a negative act, that the Prophet was basically saying, why did you do that? Mm. Now, woe to the people from you and 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 woe and and woe to you from the people means that you're going to be really bad now. And you're going to, uh, this blood is going to cause you to oppose us, our family, the Ahl Bayt, like a, a dog that tastes blood for the first time, mm-hmm. and then he becomes addicted uh, to that uh, blood. So you have that view, and you have that view. And there's a, another hadith in a Gnostic uh, Muslim gospel in which uh, it is talking about uh, Muawiyah uh, ibn Abi Sufyan and how Muawiyah was one day shaving the head of the prophet and he cuts him by accident and so he licks the blood off of his head and when he does so uh, that the prophet was very disturbed by it and told him you know you shouldn't have done that and uh, and basically it was this licking of the blood that caused the family of Muawiyah and Yazid to be bloodthirsty against the prophet and his household forever wow okay mm. so those are the uh, views concerning the 
Prophet and now we have the sperm of the Prophet. And that's also a liquid, uh, fluid. And in Islam, the Prophet's sperm is not considered to be an impure agent because there's nothing about him that is impure. And even there are narrations that state that he would go pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though he had uh, the aftermath of sperm maybe on his um, on his clothing. And this is something that was narrated by, uh, by, by his wives. So the idea is that, is that it is not impure for the Prophet while other people's uh, sperm would have been impure. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. The idea of this purity passing along is very much alive in Shia Islam. Uh, because now the prophet's pure, his sperm is pure, his uh, seed would be pure, and therefore Fatima's pure, and therefore her children, Al-Hassan and Hussein, are pure, mm-hmm. and the same thing applies for them. And then the lineage of Imam Al-Hussein is also pure because God had purified them from all impurities. Mm-hmm. And so their, their, the, the sperm of the Prophet also uh, would have been something that would have been prized amongst the companions and the people and a, a great honor to have. And that's why uh, the companions, they uh, wished and wanted that the Prophet uh, take their daughter as a wife. And that's why... Uh, you know, or their uh, relative as a wife or a daughter from their clan or from their tribe uh, as a wife. Yes. So when we come to Christianity, uh, we find that uh, there is this parallel that's taking place between what we find in the narrations of the companions regarding the healing properties of the um, of the saliva of the messenger. Mm -hmm. The saliva of the Prophet Muhammad is used to heal people from illnesses. The saliva of Jesus in Christianity, in the Gospels, it's very well known, is used to heal people and restore body parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether it's Jesus spitting on the ground, mixing his saliva with clay or with mud, and then uh, healing the person, uh, restoring their eyesight, or uh, bringing back a a body part, there's also Jesus spitting directly. And uh, this contact that the individual will have with the saliva, which comes from Jesus, becomes a purifying agent and the same idea is there mm-hmm. is that jesus is pure light and this is present in the in the story of the transfiguration and therefore everything that comes from jesus is pure because he never sinned and somebody who never sins according to christians like how can there be anything that is impure from them everything from them uh, would have been uh, purifying and would have been pure Another interesting story that has to do uh, with Jesus when when he amasses large amounts of followers and he's preaching to them uh, in Capernaum. And it's the point really where after this speech, um, it says that many of his disciples were grumbling about his teachings and saying that this is a difficult and a hard teaching and they basically abandoned him. 
many who walked with Jesus walked with him no more after this uh, speech. And he basically is talking to them and he tells them that he has the real manna uh, that came down from heaven and that his body, his flesh and his blood is the real food um, and that they should consume it. And uh, the people uh, were terrified at hearing this idea uh, because they considered the blood to be impure and, uh, you know, uh, cannibalism uh, to be something which was not allowed. And so if you understood it to be that in its apparent meaning, they were disturbed by it. Uh, if you were talking about something else, which we proposed this in the book of the goal of the wise, we actually proved it. And that was that uh, Jesus was talking about uh, his sperm. Yes. Because the sperm uh, and, and other people have written about this idea as well, that uh, the the when somebody is talking about their their flesh and blood they're actually talking about their seed they're talking about their sperm uh, because the sperm grows up to be the flesh and blood of the human being mm. and so uh, this idea that the consumption of the skin or the hair or the sperm or any agent the urine of of Jesus this disgusted the israelites and caused them to uh, not want to have uh, anything to do with Jesus. And the, uh, uh, the early Christians, they had a lot of narrations uh, that had to do with this idea. Um, and these narrations are widely shunned and, and kind of like hidden because they're so heavy um, and difficult for uh, most people to accept but for example there is this this narration uh, that states that jesus took mary magdalene and he went up a mountain mm. and uh, then jesus basically brings forth a woman just like jesus created birds in this narration uh, he created a woman he brings her out of his rib okay uh, in front of Mary Magdalene, and then he proceeds to have intercourse with this woman. Wow. This is what the narration states. And all those who are offended, they should be offended by the narration, not by me. Mm -hmm. After Jesus has uh, intercourse uh, with the woman, it states that uh, he basically captures in his hand his own emission, mm -hmm. And he proceeds to eat it, at which uh, Mary Magdalene, when she sees this, she falls down and faints. Uh, she loses consciousness. She's in a state of shock. And Jesus, uh, you know, when she regains her consciousness, you know, basically uh, says, you of little faith, and then states that if we are to have eternal life or if we are to live, then this is what we must do. And so when you put that narration next to uh, what Jesus stated in the Gospels that all of the people considered to be so extremely heavy that they abandoned him and abandoned his call, um, then uh, you can obviously see what it is that uh, Jesus was speaking about. It's that which the disciples couldn't handle. It's that which Mary Magdalene herself passed out, and she was supposed to be the best of the disciples, mm -hmm. and what caused the uh, 
people to uh, to uh, you know abandon him and disbelieve in him, and in the end seek to crucify him. In Judaism, you do have a few narrations that would indicate that, but for the most part, it is not like the plethora of hadith that you have in Sunni and Shia Islam and in uh, Christianity in regards to um, uh, this topic. And we do know also that in, in, uh, in the people that practice magic, mm-hmm. okay, and they practice the occult, they also find the fluids of the human being to be extremely important and uh, has great magical properties and effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have in the writings that there are certain things and spirits that they're able to, um, to summon through the mixing of particular substances, for example, sperm with breast milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, people that have gained the ability to see jinn through getting a black dog and taking the fluid from the eye of the dog and placing that fluid into their own eyes. And then all of a sudden they were able to see the jinns that were around them. Wow. And so, uh, and then there's also other magical recipes that are out there that have to do with the uh, love spells or the control of other individuals through the placement of the sperm of an individual in the food mm-hmm. uh, of a of an unknowing victim, and when the person eats the food uh, that has the sperm of that person who didn't, uh, you know, who who placed it in there, they become attracted to that person and they follow that person without knowing uh, exactly why it is that they are uh, following that individual. Mm -hmm. And so what we come to the conclusion is that there are agents in these religions uh, that cause a person to become impure. There are agents that purify. Mm -hmm. Uh, The prophets and the messengers, by nature, they are pure. And uh, anything of them, uh, any part of their body, is a is something which which could not only cure and co- and be the cause for uh, miraculous healings, uh, but also at the same time can guarantee uh, eternal salvation. And this is what the companions in Islam believed, and this is also uh, what Jesus is explicitly stating uh, in some of the Gnostic narrations. And there were entire early Christian communities, Mm -hmm. such as the Borberites, that you can uh, look up online and read about their history, uh, that they believed in this and they would gather together and they would engage in rituals uh, whereby instead of eating the the, uh, cracker that they pass out in the Catholic Church and the grape uh, juice that they consider... Um, in, in, so in Catholicism, one of the rituals that they have is that they pass out this cracker and some uh, grape juice. Yes. And they believe that at the moment when the priest, uh, you cannot be a Catholic unless you believe this, at the moment that, that they state, this is, this is my flesh, and this is my blood, that the cracker and the grape juice instantly transforms into the literal blood and body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they believe, Catholics believe, Christians believe, the Catholic Christians believe that 
if you are consuming this, that you are literally consuming the body of Jesus Christ because that cracker and that juice turned into the blood and the body of Christ. So it's not symbolic. No, it's literal. They believe that it literally transforms into that. And because of their consumption of the flesh and the blood of Jesus, they now have achieved and uh, received for themselves eternal salvation. So the idea is there. It's a fundamental idea. It's one of the main ideas that uh, the the eating of the prophet or the messenger uh, per se, or the Messiah causes uh, the salvation of the individual. Uh, The effects that the substances have with the person also causes them to elevate either spiritually or degenerate. And this elevation or degeneration will affect the mood of the individual and will affect affect, uh, the the mental state of the individual, Um, whether or not they're depressed, they're happy, uh, they're sad, they're closer to God, they're further uh, from God. This all happens because you're in contact with these fluids. Uh, so you're, the, the further away you are from God and, and your inability to enter into this ritualistic prayer because you've come into contact with something which is impure is an idea uh, that is there. And so we have to keep away our own body parts from things that would um, basically affect it. The idea is that the people that practice magic, if they can get a hold of your nails or they can get a hold of your hair or they can get a hold of your blood or they can get a hold of something, even your semen uh, from your boxers or something like this, if they can get a hold of anything from you, then they can affect you just by having these items that were once with you. So there is still this connection uh, that's taking place between... so. It's as if your body particles are still connected and vibrating with those uh, things that came from your body. One of the most powerful uh, magical spells that they do is that they take nails or hair or these things from a person and they'll mix it with feces of a dog or they'll put it in uh, somewhere where they'll urinate on it or they'll mix it with something really impure to cause depression uh, in the in the individual. And that's why the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that uh, he told Abdullah ibn Zubair to take the blood and to place it, uh, you know, deep down in the ground right. to bury it. And that is the proper way in Islam that the Ahlul Bayt had advised us to get rid of the nail clippings and the hair after a haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these things should never be disposed of in the in the toilet, for example, or in the trash where, where it will end up uh, being in contact with a lot of impure things because it will affect your mood mm-hmm. and affect you. Uh, so uh, we were advised to always get rid of them uh, by burying them uh, in the ground and uh, to dispose, for example, even of uh, semen. Uh, uh, some people, when they uh, they might, uh, you know, cause their semen to come out and then dispose their semen in a toilet. This is one of the uh, worst things that an individual could do because it will cause their um, their spiritual status to go down because that eventually 
will come into contact with feces and, and other things. So mm -hmm. you must dispose of these things uh, into the ground according to the uh, texts and the narrations from the Prophets and the Messengers and the Ahlul Bayt al Salam. Well, we'll stop there and inshallah we'll meet again uh, for another episode. Thank you, Amsalika. Yeah. This is such a beautiful uh, teaching and uh, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to the next episode, inshallah. Thank you.